at one point or another in all of our lives, we have known some young man that we thought was completely, totally irresponsible. Some young man who in the days of his misspent youth, we even considered somewhat reckless. And then something happens. And this young man that we think is so irresponsible shocks us. And he becomes dependable and successful. And he ends up being our doctor or our lawyer or perhaps our accountant. It kind of brought to mind a few months ago, as you know, when my Uncle Bill passed away and we, the family all got together in Austin for his memorial service. And then we all went to brunch after the service was over. And my two cousins and I were sitting there at a table talking. And someone snapped a picture of us. And Matt was looking at the picture of me and Mike and Stan. And he says, you know, you've got a preacher, a lawyer, and a doctor. I see the beginning of a really good joke there. Well, you know, the thing about it is, if you had seen us at grandmother's house 20 years ago when we were children, or 30, or, well, anyway, back in those days, you would have wondered sometimes if any of us would have ever amounted to anything. And then I thought about a young boy I used to teach in Bible class who has been doing my tax returns now for the last 35 years. And if you had told me when I was teaching a junior high, a boy's junior high Sunday school class that this guy was going to be doing my taxes one day, I would have laughed right in your face. But he's an excellent accountant. And in fact, I told him uh, the other day, I said, uh, I don't know when you're planning to retire, but you can't retire until after I die. Because I don't want to have to break in anybody else but you. Well, we talk about these young men. And we say, you know, I wish you'd look at so-and-so now. You know, I used to know him when. And then we can describe these young men that were somewhat irresponsible as being almost worthless at some point in their lives. And we all remember some young man in our neighborhood that's, or that we grew up around that's successful that we figured at some point he'd end up in prison at some point in his life. I mean, after all, he drove his car too fast through the neighborhood. All the teachers had problems with him in school. And he was rebellious and disrespectful and defiant in almost every way imaginable. And we sometimes even express amazement that he's become successful. And to look at some of them now and then, it's like the difference in night and day. But then again, is it really that big a change? It's a change, all right. And on the surface, it looks like it's an entirely different man. But what it really means is that their goals have changed. In the days of their misspent youth, they were undependable boys. 
Their objective was to have a good time and not let anything whatsoever get in the way of that. But as time goes on, this young boy met a girl, got married, settled down, had kids, and that changed his focus. That changed the goals that he had in his life. And the objective now is to be a respectable husband and father and member of the community. And they pursue those goals with the same intensity that they sought other goals in the reckless days of youth. What happened? Something inside has changed. His present desire and his present objectives have crowded out that old objective to have a good time. He's no longer out sowing his wild oats and then going home and praying for a crop failure. That irresponsible young boy no longer exists. What changed him? Love. Love changed his life. He has now a new first devotion and a new desire of heart. I remember as a young boy watching an old black and white movie about Thomas Edison. The movie may have been in color, but all we had was black and white television. Well, the movie picked my interest and my curiosity. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so I read several biographies then about Thomas Edison, the great inventor. And I learned some things. I learned that Thomas Alva Edison was a surprisingly poor student when he was in school. We had something in common. I also found that some of his teachers actually thought he was mentally slow and developmentally challenged. And yet this boy who did so poorly in school became one of the world's great inventors. Edison would spend as much as 18 hours a day in his laboratory. His experiences and experiments resulted in brilliant new inventions that benefited society. The poor student had a new focus in life, a new goal in life, a new purpose, a new devotion. And it crowded out the irresponsibility of his school days. Now, can we be honest with with ourselves this morning? Can we be honest with ourselves and be honest with God and be honest with each other? If we're honest, all of us can remember times of waste in our own lives. I could tell you some stories of my high school days and the close relationship I had with the principal at Marshall High School. We were really close friends. In fact, he cared so much about me that one day in the hall he shook his head and he said, Mr. Perkins, I promise you will graduate on time with your class. I thought it was commendable he took that much interest in my scholastic abilities and my scholastic well-being. 
I could tell you some stories about those years, but I'm not going to. But I can tell you this, there's enough people that know about my high school years, I'll never run for public office. All of us, if we're honest, can remember times that we wasted a great deal of our time and our energy. And it reminds me of a sentence that you can read from the pen of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Greater, deeper devotion. The deepening and maturing of thought crowds a great many things out of our lives. And that principle is of supreme importance in tackling problems that we face from time to time. Folks, we face a world that needs to be remade. In case you haven't noticed, we live in a wicked world. A world that has a lot of really wicked people in it. People who give themselves over to their passions. People who hate. People who are evil. People who are born down with greed. If we listed them, the list of sins of our world would be a very long list. The way to get rid of those sins and the way to rid our world of evil is to find a greater love. A new love will change people's lives. And it's one of the greatest powers in the world. I firmly believe the great secret to making men and women over is not scolding them for being evil. While that might be valid, it might make us feel better, and it might be quite defensible, it just isn't real effective. The better way to make people over is to plant inside those people a new devotion and a new love. There are two ways to make people over in our world, or to try to make people over in our world. One of those ways is to take the subject of sin and describe sin with all of its wickedness and all of its viciousness. Sin's ugly. And you can't read the newspaper accounts or watch the television accounts of crime today without seeing the fact that sin is something that's ugly and it's hideous. But somehow when you describe sin, when you describe it and make it realistic, it's hard if not impossible 
for those who are engaging in the prevalent sins of our day and time to give up sin. The better way, the more lasting way, is to plant some higher, nobler love in their heart. Something that will crowd out the love of evil and sin. Because you see, you can't get rid of the old without putting in something new. The old, the inferior, and the bad is best overcome by something that's superior and good. Even if you manage to convince someone that sin is folly, often it's just a short time that they leave their sin. Because after a while, they're going to be back at it again. Just seeing the evil of sin, that's not enough. It's not enough to give someone the power to leave it permanently. Jesus set forth that principle in Matthew chapter 12 when He gives us the parable of the haunted house. In that story of the parable of the haunted house in Matthew 12, the evil spirit came out of a man. And this evil spirit then went through the waterless places seeking rest and was unable to find that rest. And so that evil spirit returned to the house from which it came and it found the house swept and garnished. And so what did that evil spirit do? That evil spirit left and found seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they all came then and occupied the empty house. We can convince men and women that sin is bad. But we've got to replace it with something else. And the answer to overcoming sin is love. Love can change our lives. You remember the story of Solomon? Solomon was a man that tasted everything there was to taste in life. He realized that a lot of the things he was dallying with and dabbling in were wrong, but he kept on tasting those things. And then it was Solomon who made the proclamation, All is vanity. But even after that, it was also Solomon who continued to engage in his sinful, hurtful practices in his life. It's not enough for folks to know that sin is terrible. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something deeper. And that something more is an all-consuming devotion to something that is good. I want you this morning, I want you by an eye of faith to look back to old Egypt. And I want you to see Moses. He's making the greatest decision of his life. On the one hand, for Moses is Egypt with all of its riches and with all of its glamour. 
It's wine and women and song and power and prestige for this prince of Egypt. And I want you to see Moses. As he turns his back to Egypt. And he turns to the huts of the Israelites. And the writer of the Hebrew letter put it this way in Hebrews 11, 24-26. By faith. Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. Why? For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. See him. He's got the balance scales in his hand. And he's weighing the merits of going on as an Egyptian prince against the merits of giving it all up for God and His righteousness. And the love for God and the love for the people of God crowded the love of Egypt out of Moses' life. Or maybe you might want to think about it as the man we know as Peter. Simon. He was a fisherman. He loved fishing. He earned his living on that little jewel of a lake called the Sea of Galilee. But later, a deeper love came along when Jesus entered Simon's life. And there was that wonderful moment when Peter and Andrew and James and John, they left their fishing boats to follow after Jesus Christ. Peter's love for being a fisher of men crowded out his former love of fishing in the sea. That deeper love that remade the life of Moses. That deeper love that remade the life of Peter and Andrew and James and John. That can remake the lives of people in our world if we can but love them and instill the love of God in their hearts. Maybe one reason we're so ineffective sometimes is people can't really see the love of Jesus in us. We have to fill our own lives with good things. We've got to fill our own lives with things that are worthy. There have to be pictures of inspiring lives hanging in the walls of our own hearts. Pictures in our homes. They can do a lot to inspire us sometimes, can't they? I have a picture in my office of my great-granddaddy and his three brothers. I never met my great-granddaddy. He died when my granddaddy was five years old. That picture was made sometime before 1912. But they've got these big cross-cut saws and double-bitted axes, and they're cutting logs down in the big thicket. And I look at that picture and I realize that's what I came from. And on the other side, and another picture on that wall is a picture of my my granddaddy, Granddaddy Bryant. And it's a copy of a meeting poster, and it says, "Here preaching that stays with the Bible." And those pictures inspire me. And then we have pictures in our homes of our family and 
pictures of our children or pictures of our parents or our grandparents. And those pictures that hang on the walls can, can inspire us. If we have in our hearts and minds pictures of worthy lives, those can inspire us also. We need to see a picture of Abraham, the father of the faithful. Abraham, the man of faith, the friend of God. We need a picture of Abraham and his faith hanging in our hearts. We need a portrait of Job and his devotion to God. We need to see Joseph in his purity as he refused the advances of Mrs. Potiphar. There's Daniel and his courage in praying to God in spite of the king's decree. There's Ruth and her loyalty. And John, the disciple of love. And then how could we ever forget Paul and his zeal for the gospel of Christ? Those are just a few of the wonderful pictures of men and women of faith we can hang inside our hearts. Give us constant encouragement and give us powerful encouragement. But along with lives that inspire us, there are great passages of the Bible to inspire us also. The 23rd Psalm immediately comes to my mind. In hours of temptation, in hours of weakness, we say those words over and over. And there comes to us a deep inner strength from that love. And we look at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus preached that day. It's recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And there comes to us inspiration from that sermon. A window into the life of Jesus. And Jesus inspires us by what He says, and Jesus inspires us by His example. The way to overcome evil is to make sure that we fasten our hearts on something good. And greatest of all is fashioning our minds on the image of Jesus. One of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible is in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as it were in a glass the glory of God, were changed into that same image from glory to glory. If you and I can focus our minds on the glory of Jesus Christ. And if we'll do it often enough and if we'll do it long enough, we'll be transformed into that same image from glory to glory. There's a companion passage in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now listen to it. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can be transformed. By drinking in that which is good. And by renewing our minds. We can be transformed by reading the Scriptures. And meditating on great lives of the Scriptures. And we can be changed. There is no man or woman. On the top side of God's green earth this morning.
strong enough to disengage themselves from evil in their own strength. But, as folks take God into their lives, it pushes out evil for us. The writers of the world's great literature knew this. Have you ever read the short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne of the Great Stone Face? It tells of a boy who grew to look like the face of the kindly man on the mountainside because he gazed at it so often. In George Eliot's Silas Marner, the old miser has his life changed by the coming of a little child into his life. The writers of fiction, they long ago discovered the secret we're talking about. The expulsive power of a new love. There's no finer passage to sum it all up than this one from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul said, I have been transformed. And what a transformation it was. Because a new love had come into his life. The love for Jesus Christ and it crowded everything else out. We must make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of our lives and we must convince others that Jesus is to be Lord and Master of their life as well. If you need to make changes right now for Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to do it as we stand and while we sing.